0: And welcome to Galley Stories: Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Panka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another installment of <laughs> Galley Stories: Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. We've been away for a bit of an extended break. Uh, I was uh, up in Alaska doing my uh, season. Uh, but we are back today and uh, back on track. And uh, first returning guest is going to be uh, Captain Jim Howard. Jim, how are you? I am well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Any time for you, Mark. So, some of uh, some of you might have heard his name mentioned in various uh, other episodes. Uh, so we finally got the legend on himself. So uh, Jim, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. When when did you get the bug for fishing? Where were you born
1: at, and how did that first come about? Well, Mark, thanks for having me, and. Uh, I'm originally born and raised in Southern California, uh, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa area, to be exact. And uh, when I was 13 years old, I had a little buddy, a little playmate, friend. And one day he said, this is in Southern California, Newport Beach, he says, hey, come on down, help me work on my dad's boat. And I figured everybody's got a sailboat or some big uh, you know, Tupperware yacht. Sure, let's go for it. We jump in this old clunky pickup truck, back end's all jacked up. I'll learn about that later. Uh, We just start driving and driving. We go to Long Beach, California. uh, Long Beach Harbor. And there is the most gigantic, rusty whale with big rusty ribs I've ever seen. And his father was building a brand new tuna boat. He had one that was currently fishing tuna in Mexico, and he was building a second one. And, uh, like I said, it was just being built. So, uh, and I was a big kid, and I started with a bucket and a whisk broom and a little dustpan and I'd chase the carpenters because they were putting in the framing the housing and uh, pick up all the 2x4 scraps in the dust and I'd chase the welders for a day picking up the welding slag and you know needle gun junk uh, and uh, just went from there I love that job It's hotter than heck I got treated like a real man not a 13 year old kid and uh, like I said this was during the school year you know on the weekends and holidays and then come summertime we just started me and my little buddy started living on the boat even though it's out of the water and he would bring us food and of course we'd eat off the roach coach during the day and we finally put it in the water and I was a big strong kid so he said why don't you go fishing with me so I'm 13 years old we took the boat out of Long Beach down to Ensenada Baja California pulling there to check in because we're now in Mexican waters we pick up a crew, 51%, the rules back then, of the crew on these gringo fishing boats had to be Mexican nationals. And that took a two or three day process. <clears throat> Excuse me. So me and my buddy, we'd go cruise the streets of Ensenada drinking beer, because it's legal when you're this tall, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and smoking cigarettes and being, being fishermen. And, of course, finally all the paperwork was done. I'm imported into Mexico. The Mexicans are imported onto the boat. And uh, we head off. And I just start going south for like four or five days till we get to the tuna grounds. Start fishing tuna, start fishing tuna, putting the fish on the boat. You know, I was taking a real watch. I mean, we're out in the wild blue yonder. I couldn't hit nothing if I tried. <clears throat> and uh, finally the boat was full. Back to Ensenada discharge all the Mexican nationals into Ensenada, we take the boat up to uh, San Diego or San Pedro which is part of Long Beach. There was a big tuna cannery in both and we would offload and then do it all over again and uh, by the time uh, see, I ended up doing that every summer and uh, by the time uh, my senior year of high school came around I was making a pretty good living. My father was letting me out of school a little earlier every year, and I was coming back a little later every year, just because I, was, I had a job, and he said, well, I guess you found your calling. I never went on to any other schooling. How did the conversation go, though, when you're
0: 13 years <laughs> old, and you tell your parents that you want to run off and tuna fish?
1: How do, they, how do they let their kid do that at 13? Well, uh, my mom, she didn't have much of a say, but my dad thought it was pretty cool. You know, he, 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 he ran off and joined the Navy when uh, World War II broke out. He wasn't old enough to be in the service, but he was a big, tall kid. So he joined the Navy, and uh, I basically did the same thing, but I, don't, I joined the tuna fleet. And, of course, by then, my little playmate, he's the same age as me, his dad helped him buy a boat, and I started doing all the local fisheries out in front of Southern California. We would harpoon swordfish all day gill net shark all night and when that fishery would run its course for the season you know there was actually seasons then we would uh braille squid at night we were a light boat for ourselves we'd hang a great big submarine light over the side and just sort of sit and half sleep take turns watching the squid would boil up ball up we'd take the braille in at the back of the boat and uh, pull it up on the big winch and up on the Gilson and uh, bring it up and it was we just fill the boat. We could only hold like 15, 16 ton. It was a small boat. And we'd go in and offload. Go out and do it again. It was, a, it was every boy's dream. You know, I got a real job making real money. And I'm just out of high school. Right. You know, God, I had a great dirt bike and I had a great bicycle. And a surfboard. I lived in Southern California. Yeah, you know, I was a swinging medallion PhD. You bet. Women all over. It was all just. Uh, it was a hoot. <laughs> you know, you know what a PhD is. It's a pretty hilarious dude. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, I thought I was funny, but uh, that's and then it just progressed from there. How was the progression? Uh, it was, it was interesting. You know, I didn't make the real good money. I said I made good money, but for an eighteen-year-old, I did. But compared to the Alaska money and whatever, it was just, it was just a job. But I was outside. I didn't have to shave. I didn't have to watch my language, you know. And uh, now, now, how? What year was this? Um, I mean, you were just out of high school. Uh, just out of high school, so it be 1977, 1978, okay, 79. And me and my little buddy kept doing that. And of course, his father had since sold his tuna boats because Mexico had built up their tuna fleets. So big that they didn't need Americans coming in to uh, you know pay to get into the country. They had their own fleets to take care of, so they were uh, you know catching the tuna and they kicked us out. A lot of the tuna fishermen, these big tuna boats, they sold them to Mexico and either built you know different style boats for dragging double double rig shrimping and dungeness crabbing up here, or they bought you know good used ones. And uh, his whole family. He had several uncles that were also fishermen in uh, Mexican waters for tuna. They all moved up to Oregon and Washington to do these. And I said, I'm too young to go up there. It's cold and it's raining. You know, <laughs> I stayed down there and did what I could. And eventually, my buddy moved up, and uh, that was the end of that. But I kept working on the local boats, getting poorer and poorer. And then one day he shows up, and the swordfish and the shark are coming around strong. And I went down to see him and said, hi. And he was right in the middle of chewing somebody a new butthole. And right there in front of me, he fired him and said, you know how to work. Why don't you go working for me now? And so I jumped on that boat, and I'm getting older, and did all the shark and swordfish and whatever else we did down there. But he was also double-rigging shrimp and Dungeness crabbing in Oregon, out of Newport, Oregon. So, uh, you know, I was still living in Southern California, but I'd come up here and live on the boat and do all the local fisheries out of Oregon. Of course, sometimes out of Westport or what have you. And it would go down. The longest season was shark and swordfish in California. And it was great. But then there was all these big boats with big square lights. And I said, what are those? Those are sodiums for the crabbers. I said, oh, those guys fish at night and day. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of sleeping at night. Come on. And uh, so then I kind of let go of California and stayed in Oregon. I got a job on a big uh, Alaska dragger, and away I went. What was the first uh, Alaska boat? Uh, my first Alaska boat was the Traveler. It's still around that's a pretty boat it's today. still around and yeah. it's a real pretty boat and uh, we were jv'ing uh which is joint venturing with the russians for cod uh yellowfin sole and i hope i remember this right and what they called o flats which was just all the other mixed bag of cats flats and we never put any fish on board the boat you know we would just make a tow along with all the other boats And we would haul back and we'd have, uh, we were on the smaller boats, we'd have I think twenty some ton of cod in the back. We would put it on a pelican hook, which is a quick release mechanism, unzip the cod in from our own net and uh, the mothership, the Russian mothership would run up alongside of us and she'd be towing just a big fat rope behind us. Not a wire, but a rope and we would grab that rope, put it on a cat head pull it in and of course it was attached to a big wire and we would shackle our transfer wire to their transfer wire and then when we were ready to go we would tell the captain we were ready he kind of let us run the show because we were the ones with our head in the uh, lion's mouth as it were so then we would whack the pelican hook the cod end would float away and we actually had control of the air horn we'd honk it you know and now the Russians knew that we were free of our bag and they would haul it up their stern ramp. But they would only get it halfway up. They would turn hard over, float another line out, just a regular rope rope. We would grab that, put it on our back reel, and start winding for hell until it came to our cod end. And they let us specify how we wanted it. It would come up. Let's see, how did we get this? The cod end would come up backwards and upside down. That's the way we, deckhands, wanted it. That way, when it goes up on the back reel, it would lay out, the open end last, we would lay it out, it would now be right side up and uh, right side forward, zip it onto the net, finish winding forward, and we could set right back out. So you were actually pulling it onto their deck with this with this line. <laughs> they were pulling the fish onto their deck, and we were pulling our cod end, our back. empty cod end, off of their deck to us. And what's funny is the whole procedure so long as the mothership was there and it wasn't uh, too much of a throw with a grappling hook to get that tagline, transfer line, it was just about as quick as I'm telling the story. You know, just lickety split and we're set to go. And then sometimes we could set right back out because, you know, the other ships or the other motherships wanted more fish. And sometimes it'd say, hang on, hang on. We need a little time. We need a little time. You know, fishing's good, so they're kind of backed up in their factory. <clears throat> and uh, you know, went from there. Mm-hmm. So you got many, many years. Yeah, a say. few years. Yeah. yeah. And then did, do some crabbing too. Did some crabbing. Uh. Uh. Well, that was a little later on. I got one more story that goes with a traveler. Sure. We were there. We were taking the boat back to Newport from Dutch Harbor, and this thing happened uh, in Valdez. It was called, uh, well, it's called the Exxon Valdez oil spill, <laughs> and this oil started gushing out. Well, everybody knows that story. So we went to Kodiak to see if we could get on the oil spill, or if we could get on the, uh, the job to help. You know, because there wasn't going to be any fishing for us for a few months because Hake was two or three or four months down the road. We pulled in there, and we could not get on the oil spill to save our life. Uh, They already hired all the boats for that, but there was five or six fish plants that wanted cod. Cod season was open now, and there was only four boats, five if you count us, to fish cod. So we would go out and fish cod, and fishing was so good because it was just us with the other four boats, and we're all talking, you know, they're over here, they're not over there, don't go there, come over here (laughs) kind of deal. And we were coming in every other day full. And the price kept going up at all the fish plants. It was almost like rolling the dice. Well, we got 80 cents a pound. An auction 80. house. Yeah, like an auction house. And uh, my goodness, there's only two guys on deck and the captain. And we were getting, well, I'm going to say rich, but I'm going to call myself a spillionaire because you know all the other boats were on the oil spill, but we were reaping the benefits because the price of fish was going through the roof. Yeah. So it was real nice, it was just real nice and the weather was always real nice that particular summer that we were fishing cod anyway, I just thought I'd throw that at you no, that's
0: great, that's great so moved on from the Traveler, then where'd you go after that?
1: Uh, after that I filled in on a few boats in Newport um, just because I could and it was too easy Uh, then I got on the Trailblazer it was a big blue house aft crabber and uh, crabbing was really good, as in there was a lot of product out there. And everybody was kicking the crap out of them. But uh, the price kept going down. It was going down, down. I think the last time I remember we were getting 50 cents a pound, even though we were filling the boat. And at the same time, uh, pollock fishing was going through the roof. So I would kind of finally come in to deliver my crab. I was just a deckhand. My friends would come and visit me, and they'd say, Man, you should see what we're doing over here. We're getting like 16 cents a pound. Remember, this is like 1988, 89. And, uh, man, we're kicking the crap out of them. And they put us on hold for a day, and then we get to go back out. And so then I said, Man, this crabbing's hard work. I mean, <laughs> Right? <laughs> this crabbing's hard work compared to pollock fishing, because I've done that before in cod. And, uh... I heard that there was this other boat called the US Dominator and uh, they were looking for a crew. So I sent a resume to uh, Captain Craig Jensen in Accutan, you know, fishing vessel US Dominator, which is what it was called back then. And uh, sure enough, he called me later. Or no! He called my wife at the time and said he wanted to talk to me. I was actually delivering crab into Accutan. That's something like Anyways, rounding around. And he said, I heard the Trailblazer was a good boat, and you did really good there. Uh, Why do you want to get off of that boat? And I said, well, it's still crabbing, Craig, and there isn't any public fishing in my future over here. (laughs) And he laughed at that, and he said, yeah, well, thanks for your time, Jim. And then I finally got done crabbing, we took the boat home, and I got a phone call that said, come up and see me. I've never been to Seattle before. He said, come on up, we'll give you a test drive on the boat. So, I had an old pickup truck, I drove up here. The first place I've ever been in Seattle, first place I've ever seen was Trident Old Yard, right down the street here. Mm -hmm. And that was my first uh, Seattle experience. I spent years there. (laughs) I spent years there, yeah. And, uh... So I lived on the boat, and uh, you know worked in the shipyard because that's what this place is. And uh, then, oh, and he made it plain: I do not have a job as a crewman. He says we have four crewmen, and you're the permanent fill-in guy. You're the permanent fill-in guy because it's going to be you know eight or nine months of pollock fishing plus a little cod and a little crab in there. So. Uh, you know, these guys are going to want to take time off, so you can always be filling in for these guys. And he said, honestly, you'll probably get more time on the boat than they will because they want time off. And I said, okay, no problem. And before we were back in the shipyard a year later, I was the old man on the boat as far as (laughs) tenure because everybody else had quit for whatever reason, you know. One guy was a musician or struggling musician and, you know, there's other problems and conflicts. So everybody quit by willy or nilly. And I was the old guy on the boat, and like I said, as far as tenure goes. I and mean, they were slowly replaced as they uh, fell to the side. And, you know, in the shipyard. And I just went fishing again and again. And the next thing you know, I'd been there 20-something years. That's a great boat. Oh, it's a great boat. Beautiful boat. And then, you know, we got sponsored, uh, ah, somewhere in there. We were supposed to get sponsored, we eventually did, and uh, that's when uh, there was this guy, Jimmy McManus, at Trident Seafoods, he told Bob Disatel that, uh, well, the Dominator's getting sponsored, he's got a few extra crewmen, and so they shipped me out to go with Howard, Malcolm, on the uh, Dona Polita. At the time, mm-hmm. it's now got a different name. Northern Patriot. Northern Patriot, right. And uh, that was basically jv and again with uh, three factory trawlers, mostly up around the pribs, and it was a different kind of jv and though. Factory trawlers would fish all day. We would fish all day and put the fish in the fish hole. And, you know, we'd go where we are and then this and that. Um... And then at night, when the fishing slowed down, they would find a good clearing, you know, with not any ice around, kind of fish around the ice. And they would set a course, and we'd come alongside, and they would float a hawser out to us, and we would pick up that hauser, put it on our bow chalk and on our bow cleat. And then Howard would just kind of kick the boat over, get a little bit of a left rudder, and just have it in gear. And they were basically towing us, and that little bit of left rudder would just hold us off. And then with that big hauser that came over, there was a one-inch piece of spectra, and we would detach that, and we would run it down the side of our boat and up the stern ramp of the Doña Polita, because the front net reel had, I don't know how many feet of, 16-inch hose. And we would connect it to that hose, we would roll that hose off of our boat. That one-inch spectra would take it up the stern ramp of whichever factory trawler we were working with that night, We had a big fish pump on deck, like the way the salmon boats do, and we would offload our own boat all night to the fish pump. It would be pumped out our stern ramp, around and up the stern ramp of one of the sea boats, the Sea, the Heather Sea, or the Claymore Sea, and into their live tanks, and they would start processing. And, you know, we had six fish holds at the time, and they were big. And it would take us all night to do that, and just as you see the sun coming up, we would get that hose back. Uh, we looked like a fishing boat. We would kick the big hawser off the bow, and uh, we would start fishing again. Well, it's a, it seems like a, a bigger process than nowadays. <coughs> lot, it sounds like less sleep. Oh, it was a lot less sleep. It was uh, it was a lot of work, but it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a few fun times or interesting times on board doing that. We were up. God, we were up past Zimchug Spur, which is way up to the northwest, past Zimchug Spur, Zimchug Canyon, and they had a deal where if any of the factory trawlers refused fish and said they didn't want our fish, they would still have to pay us, uh, I don't remember the exact particulars, but like an indexing wage for so many tons that day. and they wouldn't actually refuse fish. It was more like they were sending us to Dutch. You know, we need this very important part. Or this person quit because they got a broken arm. You know, we would have to run them to Dutch or St. Paul Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did a lot of that. There was like a three or four, I'm gonna call it trip, streak. They refused fish. Big mama would drive herself up into the ice we would drive up into the ice and tie up next to her, and actually not even tie up, the ice would hold us in place, and they would lower the person, the parts, or whatever it was, and they'd say, go to St. Paul, or go to Dutch, and so we would have to pull out. And of course, being north of the Zimchug Spur, this was four or five days to get down to Dutch, or even to St. Paul sometimes, because you don't just drive straight there. We're zigzagging through the ice. Um, and we had a really banged up feller on the boat once. We were taken to St. Paul. And the weather was so bad that we got in there. And uh, you know we tied up at the city dock and called for the EMTs. And they came down and looked at the guy. And they said, well, we think it's best if we just leave him here, because no flights are coming in. You know He was comfortable. They had plenty of room for the EMTs to hang out. So they were hanging out on our boat, taking care of this wounded feller for like two days. And of course, we're getting paid our index price every day that we're doing that we finally got free pulled out of St. Paul back up to the mothership and just as we got there they said oh somebody broke their arm <laughs> back again <laughs> back again so you know same zigzag course through the ice and back to St. Paul and but it wasn't as traumatic this guy just had a broken arm and could manage himself it was a lot of things like that the first guy though he was pretty bad he was pretty bad he, it was a if I remember it was like a back thing, you know, they didn't want him to twist, they didn't want him to walk. He was on a backboard living, well, in our parts room, which, you know, was clean, just spare parts and whatnot. He was living in there. And of course they sent the bosun who had minor EMT training to monitor him, feed him, care for him, whatnot. So I don't know why I told you that story. It's just a lot of fun. Oh, that's
0: that's good. <clears throat> that's good.
1: Came back from that, and uh, the Dominator was all chopped up on Whitby Island, and uh, started driving to Whitby Island every day, doing what we could in the shipyard, getting it ready. A lot of new electronics, a lot of a lot of plumbing that needed wrap. Uh, Denzo, what they call what do they call it, petroleum wrap. We always just called it Denzo tape. tape. Yeah, it was a brand name, but Petro wrap is more like anyway. Just launched the boat. Now we had a great, big, new, fancy boat, and uh, went fishing. Yeah, she's still a fancy boat. And gotten fancier and fancier. It's kind of neat to see the progression. Well, her name, the name of the vessel was the U.S. Dominator. She was all black with a yellow trim and a white house. When she came out of the shipyard after being sponsored, she was all dark blue, or I think they call it cobalt blue, White House and a light blue trim, and they dropped the U.S. part. It was just now the Dominator. Mm-hmm. Glad they kept that part because yeah, just a nice name for a boat that I like tease the crabbers. You know, we don't need bait to entice the critters. We take things by force. You know, <laughs> really, we just go in and we vacuum the. Well, Craig,
0: Craig had a pretty good story about you when he came on here <coughs> that he shared with all of us and our listeners, and mm. so let's let's shoot back. Across his bow, you got one on Craig.
1: Oh baby, I'll come get,
0: on, Craig, you're gonna love this.
1: I'll get I'll get back to you on that one here. Oh, <laughs> you don't have one on the hip, huh? I don't have one on the hip. Got one about his kid once. <laughs> it uh Andrew, the young feller on the boat. Bu- me. I could probably come up with a good one for Craig if I was drinking again, but uh Andrew. He was, you know, a young feller. He was on the boat. He was like 10 years old when he started hanging out with us, and we liked having him around. He was fun, you know, tease and whatever. But every once in a while, he'd get into the four peak, into the candy, you know, and that sugar would just take him to the roof. So one day, we'd had enough of that. It was all in fun, though. So we duct-taped his feet, duct-taped his hands, duct-taped his mouth, and we had like a spare room in case anybody came by for a visit or kind of a parched room with a bunk. And we just put him in there on the bunk, (laughs) all taped up. Craig came down. I haven't seen Andrew. You know, where is he? We all acted dumb, you know. (laughs) He was getting a little nervous, so we kind of pointed. And he went in there, and there was his son, Andrew, all taped up. (laughs) (laughs) Traumatic. Traumatic, yeah. But, you know, Craig didn't yell at us. I understand. Yeah. So he just let it go, you know. Get them all wound up on uh, on some sugar and then. Yeah.
0: Yep, so on the Dominator, 20, 22 years?
1: Ah, I want to say closer to 25 there. And I'm not even counting the little bit of filling in I did after that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, saw a lot of changes. You know, new main engine right here at Marco, which Marco Shipyard doesn't exist anymore. It's condos. Yeah, it's all condos. and Condos and yachts. And yachts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was there for that. And boy, that that made a big difference, you know. Had the new big fancy boat, but the old smaller horsepower engine. You know, I can see how do you put it right. You know, horsepower to poundage, to uh, filtering water. You know, bigger engine, you tow a bigger net, you filter more water. And uh, we had to work hard with that old engine to fill the big boat. Then we got the new engine, and oh, it was like oh, making fish.
0: There you go.
1: We got a, a net appropriate to a our whole fish A uh, new fish maker, absolutely. Yeah. But then that makes everything go up. You know, everything else gets bigger. The door legs get bigger. The doors get bigger. The the cables get bigger. They just, still get bigger. They still I mean, get bigger. Oh man! So bigger. But yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun on that. A lot of good times.
0: Any, uh, let's talk about let's talk about some of the not so good times. There's had to have been a few of those.
1: Yeah. There was a few of those. And I wouldn't say it was so much scary, as it was just kind of you gotta be kidding me, and you know we gotta keep moving or something's gonna happen here. You know, like, like I told you, I was a uh, fill-in guy on the boat, and uh, the other four guys kind of quit or got fired over the course of just a year and a half, and so we got a new engineer. Um, <laughs> we got a new engineer, and uh, Craig took him around. Craig's a real good engineer. Craig understands uh-huh. machines and things mechanical very well. Things electrical. We call him uh, a <laughs> uh, General Jensen. Craig's College of Electrical Knowledge. You know. Oh, nice, or, or nice. Like. He's still referred to as the electrical guy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's a uh, he's quite Jensen Electric. Jensen Electric. Oh yeah, you know. Heck, I'll call him up. You know, I work around my house. I'll call him up and say, hey, what's this breaker box thing do? You know, the lights don't work. Of course. Flip it what, up. What okay, f- <laughs> thanks.
0: Got it. No, the first thing he
1: says with me is, well, did you check the light bulb? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not that. I'm not quite that Thanks, bad. Craig. That's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> How many guys does it take the fish to change a light bulb? <laughs> anyway, so, uh, okay, so he takes the new engineer around, shows him this. And and uh, a lot of people don't understand our. Our boat, well, a lot of boats. Our boat, we have two fish holds forward, side by side, port and starboard, right and left, and we have two fish holds aft, port and starboard, side by side. And uh, whenever you go to put fish in, you got to pump the water out. You're chilling water to make it cold to keep the product in good shape. But the fish, you know, they float, so they won't go in unless you're pumping the water out. And had Craig explained this and. I thought it was common sense. You know, we would go to the f- two front tanks first and pump those down, and then of course the fish go in at an equal rate, and it keeps the boat all on trim, all level. But some reason this guy started pumping the water out on God, which one was it? It was on the uh, starboard side, four and, and aft, and the two on the port side were left alone. So as he's pumping the water out, the boat starts rolling over, and the fish are not going to run uphill to go in that tank at all. And we are so lucky that it was uh, the romantic life of the sea that everybody envisions. You know, you could see the water was calm. You could see the moon shining on it. It was a beautiful night. should have been easy breezy. But... Uh, The way he's pumping it out now, the boat's rolling over, and of course the cod end wants to jump the trawl fence or the alley and and head to the rail, and wants that, and it's a big bag, you know, it's a big heavy bag, and the boat's really cranking over, and uh, Craig comes running down. What are you doing? And it's not us. It's the, I said the tanks, you know, he's pumping out fore and aft, and so Craig runs down to, to rectify that part of the situation, and me and John another fill-in guy, another new guy, we run to the uphill side, and you've got these actual zippers, or dumping ports, as it were, where you pull the zipper and the fish run out, but they won't run uphill. So we just start slicing the bag down the side, trying to get it all, you know, at least get the weight down. And if we get enough, we figured we'd get it to go in those tanks, the uh, light tanks that are causing us to roll over. And we were doing our job, and the fish was going in slowly and uh, Craig started correcting with the pumps and we got the boat back uh, by the hair of our chinny chin chin and of course you know we finally emptied the bag got it down Craig explained to him again how the tanks go me and John had a lot of sewing to do on that cod end before we could put it back in the water because we chopped the hack out of it but at the end of the trip we were all full and all was good Of course that engineer he lost his job because There's a few other things he just didn't quite get, you know, mechanical wise, as it were. So, and then we went from there. That's uh, Well, we hit a ship once. (laughs) Oh, let's hear about that one. You haven't heard that one? No. Okay. We're fishing right out front. Real nice. Once again, real nice. Out front of Accutan? Right out in front of Accutan. You guys
0: can look that up, Accutan Island there.
1: Yeah, right in Unimac Pass. Unimac Pass, for everybody that doesn't know, it's like the freeway. If there's any ship in Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, whatever, a big ship, and they're going over to somewhere in Asia, you know, China, Korea, uh, Japan, they will go through the Unimac Pass. It's a great circle route. Uh, you know, straight a rum line is not the fast way. The great circle route, it actually saves you time, and it's a shorter distance. We were out, actually right out in front of there makes it pertinent because we hit a ship. Uh, So it's midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I know we're only two or three hours out of Accutan in the Unimac Pass. And uh, Craig says, all right, who wants to drive? It's only a couple hours. We're all getting up. And our new engineer, who replaced the old engineer, he said, well, I'll do it. He feels good. So he goes up on watch. Everybody else goes to bed. I just lay down in my bunk. I'm wearing all my clothes. I just kick off my boots because we're going to be there in an hour, and I'm laying there. And I never actually went to sleep. And all of a sudden, the boat comes out of gear. I think we're not that close. And then all of a sudden, it starts backing down. And when you start backing down full blast, when you start backing down, you know the boat's cavitating, yeah, and it's just it's just shaking like a like a drunken monkey. You know. It's like rah, 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 rah. Uh, That's not good. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 and scraping. It wasn't quite steel on steel scraping that you could hear, but it was more like a, you know, big, like you have your head in a big drum, you know, blong kind of blonging. So I jump up out of bed in the dark and I put on my little boat slippers and I think, no, this isn't good. I kick off my slippers and put on my rubber boots so I can have traction in the water because I know something's going on. (laughs) And as I get my boots on, I start to go out of my stateroom, I can get the sensation that we're spinning slowly, like a slow like a slow 360 in a car. And I go peeling out down the uh, hallway. And I notice behind me, we had an observer on the boat, a National Marine Fisheries observer. And of course, it woke him up too. And he saw me running, and I've always kind of the casual guy when he saw me running he started running right behind me he goes well i better follow this guy <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> because of where i lived down on the uh, main deck and up in the forepeak peak or near the forepeak, peak not quite i was the last guy into the wheelhouse and uh there's our engineer sitting at the uh driver's seat pilot seat and there's the other guy on the boat bill he's sitting over there and uh craig and i'm the last one up and I, like I said, once again, beautiful night, romantic life of the sea, you know, you could see for miles, stars and the outline, full moon, but there's this gray wall in front of the windows. I said, you got to be kidding me, so I go up and put my head down on the dashboard, and I'm looking up at the windows at this gray wall, and I see all these little guys on the deck of this ship, and they're pointed down at me. And I, I don't read lips, but I could see, you know, their eyeballs are real big. And they're both yelling, you know, something like, what the hell? What the hell? And they're pointing at me, or the boat, I should say. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And this groy, big gray wall goes on by, very slow. You know, it's very slow now. And uh, Bill, <laughs> the other deck handy, looks at me and he says, well, Jim, this is a good Craig story. And he goes, uh, well, Jim, we better go look for leaks. And Craig, who's over there sitting next to the, standing next to the engineer, he looks at us and he goes, what do you mean look for leaks? And Bill says, real casually, well, that's what happens when you hit a ship, right? you got to look for leaks. <laughs> and right then Craig grabs a flashlight off the dashboard and he goes running out the back wheelhouse door and down the steps, two flights, stairs down, and he's up on the uh, bow, and now we're all... Looking over the dashboard down there, and this flashlight's doing the watusi. Our bow's all bent down flat. It's doing the watusi, and Craig comes flying back upstairs, and he starts yelling at the engineer. He goes, "You hit it! You hit it! You hit an effing ship!" (laughs) And me and Bill go, "Well, we better go look for those leaks." Wait a minute.
0: Did he say effing? Did he use the f word? Because I don't think I've ever heard. Oh, Uh, uh,
1: yeah, he did. Okay. I wasn't going to say it, but I'll say effing. And so, and me and Bill, you know, we felt, the boat felt good when we went and looked, you know, we went through the whole engine room, pulled up the boards, and, uh, you know, we were good to go. And you could see later on that, uh, you know, our only damage was from that bow deck up. You know, the flare of the bow, you know, was out, well, it's flared out. And, of course, you know what the back of a ship looks like. It kind of flares up. So we kind of went under his stern just a little bit and laid our well, our bow wave block down. And that was the only real damage that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Of course, our anchor kind of tore a hole in his side, kind of like one of those uh, ninja movies, you know. Just big, long slice so, in the side of the ship. So did we get a new engineer after that? or We got a new engineer after that. Yeah, We had we'll a little get, engineer I'm
0: surprised because, you know, Craig's had the same crew for so long now. Yeah. It's been the same... You know, there's not turnover on his boat
1: no, well Bill and I were the uh, Bill and I were the two, well I say original crewmen for the long running crewmen, you know we went through a few others mm-hmm. deckhands and engineers and uh, Bill just retired here a couple years back, I retired just a couple, well from the Dominator I retired just a couple years before he did and then of course we got our new engineer, shortly after that, Jamie, and then deckhand, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been that crew forever, forever. And the newest deckhand, he hated it because uh, <laughs> you know some kind of dirty, stinking job would come up that involves crawling under your belly, and say, "Let's give it to the new guy." Right? You know, the new because because the new guy's only been there ten years, yeah. <laughs> and he would say, "I've been here twelve years." <laughs>
0: Well, you're still, still, you're still, still the, the FNG.
1: <laughs> still and, the new guy. So it was, it was a lot of fun, you know. I and mean, All of us guys, we were all just within a year or two of age. You know, the oldest guy to the youngest guy was two years, maybe three if you want to, you know, get picky. So we were all on the same page. We all watched the same cartoons as little kids. You know, it was real nice. It was real neat. And we all, family. Oh, yeah, the same kind of family life, you know, weddings, funerals, divorces. It, it was just a real nice time you know, and Craig was a great captain is a great captain he was a great captain when I was there and I'm guessing he still is now uh, he's considered, yeah, a very good captain and oh, safe, super safe super safe, and real knowledgeable you know, he uh, he could make fish you know, it's that old saying make hay while the sun shines he could absolutely do that you know, he, he, uh, you know, he could just smell it and sometimes we like to give him shit, you know, he used his Norwegian fish finders, those are binoculars, he's yeah. hey, there's boats over there! <laughs> hey, Craig, fish go where the fish want to go, they don't follow boats. Yeah, but there's a lot of boats over there. <laughs> Alright, let's go over there. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, we used to give him a lot of shit, because there's like two or three trips in a row where we would depart Accutan for fishing, and he would put me on watch, because I knew all the other boats, and... I could talk to the guys. You know, hey, what do you got? What are you seeing? What are you doing? And, of course, I can also use the electronics. And he would say, run up here, and, and when you find something, let me know. So I would uh, drive all over. I'd find some fish. I'd call him. i said, Craig, take a look at this. He'd come up out of bed. He'd look at the down sounder and the other guys, and he'd say, all right, let's set. So then I'd been up driving. So then Bill would take over and start towing, and Bill would catch all the fish. And there was like three or four trips in a row. Where I found all the fish, Bill caught all the fish, you know, and we wouldn't let Craig have a break, you know. Well, I found them, well, and I caught them. <laughs> what do we need you for, right? You know, but you know, he was like the conductor. You know, we were just the uh, the fiddle in the band, as it were. You bet. It was all in good fun, fun, fun. Yeah, you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, he still got uh, his crew is still solid. Yeah, I mean, he's got that young guy Evan on
1: there. He's got Evan. Uh, Tim, a Tim. Uh, guy I call Red. You,
0: did you work with Tim at all? Yeah. Isn't he like just so super-powered? I mean, he's got so much energy. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost scary. But it's workable energy. Like, yeah. He has to constantly be working. It's not like he's just messing around, but he's oh, like...
1: you got to keep him focused. Over here, over here. you know. And, and, and I would like to think I was actually kind of a big help to him on the boat because I know where all the nuts and bolts and parts and pieces are after you know, 20-something years. You know, I could point. You know, that's the black thing, and that's the round thing. And when Craig says, you know, the one valve, he means that one. You know, whatever. Because and uh, so we were always kind of working hand in hand. Like I said, I was filling in for Dick. Uh, a lot of the guys didn't want to. I salmon. gotta get Dick on here sometime. Oh, Dick's a hoot. Yeah. He's a PhD. I,
0: I, I got yeah. I'll tell you, my first experience <clears throat> on the Dominator was I was going out on a trip with them, and uh, so they take me to the bunk to to the where I'm going to be bunking at, and there is. Probably the largest dildo I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's one of those ones that you stick against the wall and it'll sit there and flop around. Right. So I'm throwing my bags up into the top bunk, and I'm and there's nobody else in the room right now. Putting my bags up on the top bunk, and I look down, and this thing is just going. It's it's in the bottom bunk on the wall. And I'm thinking, oh, this this is not this something's no not right here. But they had put it in there to tease. Whoever was taking over for Dick for a minute, right? And uh, so it was, it was hanging on that wall. And I go into the room, and there it is. And I was like, I didn't want to ask, you know, what's what's going on with this thing. So it had been a couple days at dinner that it came up. You know, I was like, all right, so what's the story with this? And it, it was just a big kick, <laughs> you know. So I thought that the I won't mention any names, but I thought that the guy on the bottom bunk that was just something a little off. <laughs> You know, but there wasn't. There yeah. wasn't. It was. Uh, it was them playing a trick on him, and I happened to be a
1: benefactor in them, yeah. and witnessing it. Right place at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's hilarious. We always have those little pranks on the boat, you know, or bigger pranks and things. That's I like that boat. We, you gotta, you gotta relax. You gotta be able to laugh at yourself. I mean, you're in a floating jailhouse, for you know, bee season. You know, four or five months. And then you'll get sent salmon packing or something, which just prolongs your season by another month or six weeks. Sure. uh, Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So you're out pollock fishing. Salmon's going. Correct. So you get that call. It'll just happen right up. Well, here's one. Uh, I mean, this happened many times, but we'll be heading out fishing. You know, the fish plant has a schedule. You know, you come in at noon, you come in at three, you come in at six, and full of Pollock, like we're a truck on the interstate. Right. We'll just pick it up Yeah, in just the go corn. up there and grab Just something. go out and grab it. And it's the corner of 5th and Main. But it's, so we're all headed out. You know, you're headed out before me and I'm headed out behind you. And all of a sudden the call comes in that wherever, Bristol Bay is happening, Ketchikan is happening, Area M is happening with Salmon. Go there and pick up a load and once you got it, we'll tell you where to go. So I go to bed or all of us go to bed thinking we're going to the fishing grounds. You get up for your watch and the boat's going the wrong way by a long shot, you know, oh, we're going to, and there's of course the new watch orders, we're going to Bristol Bay, you know, tell me when you get to Mole, or tell me when you get to, you know, you Igigig, whatever, and right. we'll anchor up and go from there. So that's happened many times. It's kind of neat. And uh, so one time we got sent to Valdez and we're out and about, out and about, we get sent to Valdez and we get to Valdez and uh, the guy in charge there Says Harley Davidson. I don't know if I can say it. (laughs) He's been on here too. Okay, Harley. He says, Well, go to the city dock or something like that there in Valdez, tie up, and I'll call you when I need you. So we go and we tie up at the city dock and we're hanging out. And there's really not the boat's perfect right now. There's nothing for us to fix or work on. We're just doing little piddly projects. And uh, I'm up in the wheelhouse talking to Craig about something. We're always comparing notes, playing 100 bucks. It's a music game. Anyway, he still owes me a lot of money. Um, and the tag phone rings. And it's our manager calling from the office down here. And he says, "He says, are you guys all right? Are you broken? Well, and we said, yeah, everything's fine. And he says, well, why haven't you made a delivery? You should have like two deliveries by now. And Craig says, well, we're tied up to the dock in Valdez. And the fleet manager says, well, what are you doing there? He didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know. And, he, and, of course, Craig says, well, the other guy said for us to come here and wait. So we are. And of course, the fleet manager uh, just shakes his head okay, well, now I know, thanks. <laughs> you know, things like that. Right. I'm not going to use everybody's name and throw everybody of the Sometimes bus, you
0: get all the way over there, though, and you don't even take a load of fish, huh?
1: Yeah, well, this particular time that I've actually just talked about, we got there, and we took three... Little, tiny loads of fish. After about a week at the dock, we got sent over somewhere. We got two saners, maybe 20,000 pounds total. And we had to take it to, I don't remember what, Wrangell or Ketchikan. And we just hung out there. And they said, all right, go back here. They're going to need you. We got there. And we got another, basically, 20,000 pounds. And this is taking time. That's a
0: real big boat to be hauling 20,000 pounds. Yeah.
1: And then they said, okay, we got something really important for you. So they sent us back to Wrangell or one of those towns like Wrangell. And we got all this mail, parts, pieces, freight on the boat, and a big manifest of whoever. And uh, we were hitting every bay in Southeast delivering deliver- mail. I felt like the mailman, you know, in a box of, you know, muffler bearings and prop wash or whatever you deliver to these Saners, you know, mm-hmm. just, just little stuff. And that was our big important thing. And then we tied up somewhere, you know, waiting further instructions in five more days or six. They said, all right, well, we don't need you to go back to fishing. So then we, you know, head all the way back out and go to the fishing grounds. Fun stuff. So while, while
0: we're on the subject of the post service and how important it is, over the years you've seen the mail service change getting to these boats, and the you know mail's expedited a lot more quickly now, but how...
1: How important is it, being out to sea and getting that mail? It's actually really important. Uh, I think it's kind of slacked off a little bit, mail, with the advent. And it's, it's a new invention for us. Uh, internet and cell phones. You know, forever, we didn't have that. Compared to, say, Seattle or Newport, Oregon or whatever else. And mail was really important. You know, you get letters, pictures of your kids, uh, whatever else. Uh, i just really enjoyed that i actually got a little mail story okay if you want to hear it uh i had a birthday coming up i had 10 years ago yeah exactly 10 years ago i was born on september 9th 1959 and so on september 9th 2009 which would be 090909 i turned 50. And I said, man, 09, 09, 09, I turned 50. That's like a, an omen. i got to do something for myself. And there's the second part to this story. And my wife thought it was pretty neat. I didn't know this, that she was doing, but she thought it was kind of a, a neat thing. So she went around to all of our friends and family and everybody and said, write me, or write a letter to Jim, you know, and just give it to me, and I'll stamp it, and whatever. Or if you want, here, put your own stamp on it and mail it, and here's his address in Accutan. And I knew this. I sort of knew something like my birthday's coming up. I was expecting something from my kids or my wife, whatever. And uh, somehow the manager at Trident Seafoods in Acutan called Craig and said, Man, Jim Howard must be really special because he's got a truckload of mail here. And Craig found out uh, that I had this big birthday coming up and Cindy did this. And he didn't tell me and I didn't know it. And we had to go to Dutch for, just so happened we had to go to Dutch for parts or pieces. It's my birthday. And he snuck into my stateroom and poured, I don't know, 25 pounds of mail. You know, 100 letters, basically, all over my bunk. And, of course, I'm out doing stuff. We're in Dutch because we got stuff to do, blah, blah, blah. And finally, you know, it's 5.30 at night. And he said, all right, you guys are on your time. You know, watch a movie, take a shower, go to bed. And uh, he said, uh, and of course, I always liked magazines. And he said, Hey, Jim, can I borrow that magazine that tells how to get to, I forget what, you know, some traveling vacation magazine? I said, Yeah. I run in to my stateroom to get this magazine, and there on my bunk is all this mail that had been sent up that I was expecting, you know, or I'd, I'd have been expecting a few things, but not this pile in Accutane because they didn't have it we delivered you know one hour one hour, one day earlier and I there's all my mail Craig had gone up there told him to hide the mail blah 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 and he was going to take it and he did he thought that was pretty funny yeah but then you know I had a birthday somebody went and got me a birthday cake from the Safeway and all was good
0: well today is uh, September 11th so you just had a birthday a couple days ago then
1: I just turned 60
0: happy birthday
1: thank you yeah I never thought I'd live this long to tell you the truth no just you know, doing the doing that job. Well, part of my the second part of my 0909 turning 50 is I bought a motorcycle here in Seattle, and I rode it to Texas to visit Bill, the other guy on the boat. He lives near Houston, and from there I rode it into Mexico. Went all through Mexico, went into Belize, Belize, uh, went into Guatemala, came out of Guatemala back up to Mazatlan, parked the motorcycle in Mazatlan, in a storage bin, and flew back to Alaska and went to work. Nice road trip. It <laughs> was a real nice road trip. Yeah. It was, was part of my, that uh, was great. Man, I've actually made a few other big road trips since then. I just love it. Yeah. Anyway. Got to have a comfortable seat for that. Mine,
0: uh, 500 miles in, and I'm my butt's about done. I'm an old guy now.
1: Yeah. I'm 60. When <laughs> I ride, I'll take off. and. got, the got mor- a Goldwing when you <laughs> got
0: the heated seats yeah. and the. Uh,
1: And the stereo in your face. No, I'll take off. I'll take off in the morning with every intention of doing, you know, 300 miles. I'm going to do 300 miles today and get to that spot. Yeah, that's because I heard that's really great. I make it 50 miles down the road. that guy's got some good-looking coffee there. (laughs) And I'll pull over for some coffee and I'm drinking. You know, you can't drink and drive. Well, some people can on a motorcycle. And then I think, well, what the heck is that? And the next thing you know, I'm done. I've made it 50 miles, <laughs> and I'm done for and you've the day. All right, I'm gonna stay here for a bit. So, but of course, what, what, what do they say? You know, uh, the destination is just a byproduct of the journey. Right. You know, and I'm only, I'm only on the road. It's nice to be able to have the time and the and the fortune to to stop and, and look. And that was well. That's what I really liked about the fishing industry, or you know, the boat business industry you know two roughly two or three or four months on duty two or three or four months off duty no matter you know what the industry whether you're a freighter or a research vessel or what have you and i just just loved it yeah and of course you can't explain it to people and you know, a lot of people just don't get it i don't know so what do you think what do you think is some of the
0: biggest things that fishing in our industry has given to you
1: I get to learn a lot. You know, We never had the internet, never had TV, and one thing I've seen when I started fishing in California is you come in and deliver when you have a premium product like swordfish or crab or the big prawns like we used to fish. Uh, everybody's got, every place where you deliver, like they have a fisherman's terminal here, they have a lending library full of books. You drop off your books that you've read, you take another handful and uh, whatnot. And so I used to read a lot. And, of course, I would always get a couple of newspapers from the city I'm in. And I learned a lot in meeting a lot of people. There's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different people out there, a lot of things to know that, you know, I don't want to get all philosophical or religious or political here, but, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of ideas out there. It's given me that freedom. And by having two months off or one month off, uh, I get time to reflect and think and do what I enjoy and chase down... You know whatever it is I want to see. Where a lot of times I see with my kids, you know they'll have a weekend off and they just collapse, or they spend all day trying to have fun at a you know bumper shoot or whatever street fairs there are, and and the way I kind of feel bad for them that they don't get to experience things like I do. One of the best books I ever read was read was on the road by Jack Kerouac. Just get out there and explore and see what's going on. Like I'm going back to. Uh, The destination is just a byproduct of the journey. What is that? Turn off the road. Go see what it is. Mm -hmm. Stephanie and I, when we're on
0: road trips, I got this thing about when you pass that (coughs) historical marker sign. I'm that guy. What's historic about it? Right. pull over. I mean, it it can take us. I think our last trip to Spokane took us like eight hours to get there because I'm just that guy. I got to stop and see. Oh, wait. There's the... It was the oldest railroad station it's like between here and Spokane is like one of the one of the peak railroad station places. Really I can't remember the name of the town now, but it's closer to Spokane. But we went in there and just experienced that whole thing, you know, and then another the next town's got the oldest church in the area. And we go in there and
1: Exactly. And then it's called history for a reason. You know, it is our past. And we are doomed to repeat it if we don't learn from it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be good. You know, hey, it worked in the past. It worked out really well, or whether it was bad, you learn from your mistakes. There, uh, I have gone off the track again. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. What about? Let's get a really good fun story. Yeah, I know you've played some good pranks, and I, uh, I mean, Craig had you on the hemorrhoid story,
1: <laughs>
0: or not hernia. the hemorrhoid story, the hernia story. That was a pretty damn good one. But I mean, do you you've got some of those experiences yourself.
1: Oh man. God, it was so hard to. <laughs> 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 I got some goofy stories. This isn't quite the. Oh, man. Bring it. Well, I got well, I got a Howard. Everybody had fun at my expense once again. Well, I told you how we used to JV uh, with the Russians, or uh, not with the Russians, with the uh, Norwegians on the Saga Sea, the Heather Sea, and the Claymore Sea. We would offload our own boat. Well, it's a big snorkel that goes down in the tank. It sucks all the fish out, and they were pulling it up a little bit, pulling it up. And I, I was I'm very diligent, and I'm I'm actually CDO, which is OCD, but it's alphabetical like it should <laughs> be. <laughs> you know, and there's a couple little fish I jump in there, and I'm getting the last of the fish, you know, on our rain gear's big heavy oil skins or PVC polyvinyl, so, yeah, you know, the big Grundin' suits, yeah. and that damn vacuum. You know, it's got about an 18-inch mouth. It's about a 12- or 14-inch hose, but the bell, you know, goes up to about 18, and somehow that thing landed right on my back, and It was that raincoat, you know, it sucked the raincoat <laughs> and I'm stuck, and now I'm flying like Mary Poppins, and of course nobody can hear. And it's Howard's boat. Those are deep fish holes. And the one guy, Patrick, that was in there with me, he's just trying to climb up the ladder as I'm going up and I'm going up, and uh, he's climbing up, and he's going, stop, stop, and of course, you know everybody thinks he's saying, you know, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> he's waving at him, and he, oh, we saw you saying go. He's going. No. So they're pulling it out. And they're pulling it out, attached. and I'm stuck to it. And the the bottom of the fish holds getting farther and farther away. And finally, that suction is so strong, it just sucked a big hole right in my coat. It finally tore the coat out like a hole punch. You know, <laughs> and once it did that, you know, I <laughs> fell to the. So now it was great. I have I have a great raincoat with a perfect hole in the back. You know, like one of those laser beam movies. You yeah. know, you dumbass, <laughs> you shot me. <laughs> anyway, so I fell to the bottom, and I wasn't hurt or anything, but it was a lot of fun while it happened. You yeah,
0: know? yeah. I bet you everybody
1: around still tells that story. Yeah. Uh, and another time, well, I was filling in with Jack, and no, I wasn't filling in; I was working with Jack. Jack Mullen. Jack Mullen, on the Norseman two, we were in the Arctic. We were like anchored up in Cactovic. So this
0: is after he retired from the Columbia. Correct. He started running around doing the Arctic uh, research, driving the Arctic research boats.
1: Correct. And uh, he heard I become recently unemployed from where I was, and I never left Alaska. I just went from Accutane to Nome to get on the boat with him. Anyway, and we had, yeah, we had depending on what uh, leg it was, we'd have anywhere between turd. 20 and 30 scientists on the boat and of course we have our crewmen and they would sometimes switch they were all young guys you know they wanted to go home and play smoochy poo with a tomato or something anyway <laughs> <laughs> and so you know and we would anchor up and of course we're a floating hotel until the plane comes in and this and that and we had a telex upstairs and everybody was talking about what they're going to do when they get home you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and I can't wait to get home, and my girlfriend's waiting for me. So I typed up a telex that looked all official that said something like severe weather storm coming in, and the one and only plane has been sent to, a, you know, Port Moller to pick up a wounded person. So, you know, your trip out of Prudhoe Bay has been canceled <laughs> for at least another week. And, you know, we would always leave weather reports and, you know, little tidbits on the, on the galley table for anybody to read. And I just left that out there real casually, and the next thing you know, the the murmur, the normal murmur on the boat that's always you know ha 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 hoo 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 hoo, ha, ha, ha. all my kids, all my grandkids started getting a little darker. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, next thing you know, the whole boat was one of those big because uh, <laughs> people had trips planned. You know, sure. and I love that, and it got so bad that Jack had to come down and say, "Look." We're sorry. It was just a big joke. Dumbass did it. Me. Yeah. (laughs) Was he involved? No. I wouldn't think so. He wasn't involved in that, but uh, he had to put out my fire. Uh Uh-huh.
0: That was... And you were sitting on the side of the road watching it burn. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I had one other guy that said, man, that is just too... uh, Our IT guy, we actually had an IT guy on the boat because the boat was a giant computer for the scientists, and he knew me pretty well. He said, said, Jim... (laughs) (laughs) He said, that is too severe of a storm. Too many planes are broken. I think you wrote that. (laughs) I did, AJ. I did do that. (laughs) And he just thought that was hilarious. Anyway, it's awesome. Awesome. Would you change anything? You mean if I go back in time? Yeah. No, No. I wouldn't change a thing. Maybe, uh invest you know with what I know now invest in a few different things but I wouldn't and I loved what I was doing I loved what I was doing I, I believe that a young man which I still am up here you know I'm I'm, I'm the world's oldest juvenile delinquent and uh, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't change a thing I, I I believe that as a young man I should earn my keep by the sweat of my brow and I Wanted to run off and join the circus, the carnival. I couldn't find it, but man, there was a boat, and it's on the ocean and it's sunny, and I just loved it. You know, I loved every minute of it. You know, to uh, experience these things. And like I said, when I was fishing swordfish, I didn't go into too much detail, but it was a quality product. And trucks on the interstate are so much faster than boats that when we were delivering swordfish, you know, you fish way offshore, 500 miles, 1,000 miles offshore, you just go straight east. Till you hit the beach and you go into Ventura or Newport Beach or Dana Point or San Diego and they send the truck for you. And so we would offload to the truck. And of course, you only deliver on the dark of the moon or the full moon and uh, take three or four days off to reprovision the boat. And on the dark of the moon and the full moon, the, bite, the tuna bite goes off. Of course, the tuna bite dies. The swordfish bite goes. So you just hang out for two or three days, working on the boat, taking care of piddly things. We had a young captain Young wife, and he would fly home to see her and uh, leave us in charge of the boat, you know, in a real city, San Diego, San Francisco. Holy cow!
0: You were taking care of the boat,
1: yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we took care of it all right. But anyway, uh, I wouldn't change
0: a thing. What what would you suggest for uh, young guys? I wouldn't say 13 year olds, but what would you suggest for young guys looking to get into our industry
1: now? What would be your advice to them? Well, if you're real serious. uh, get a job on a little day troller, day dragger, see how you actually like it, and go from there. And get a license. I mean, even even a person with zero sea time could go get an OS license, an ordinary seaman. And once you have that, you're building sea time upon it, and you can do what they call come up through the hawse pipe. You can build your license from the off of that. And uh, there is a There's so many other boats out there on the ocean that uh, are not fishing, and it's just a really wonderful lifestyle, if that's your style. Yeah. You know, uh, I always liked being gone for two or three months, and then coming home for two or three months. It was seeing the place like Seattle. I haven't been here since December. I can see how much it's changed. I can see how much my grandkids have changed. You know, it's kind of like... A little mini Christmas neat things and of course everybody's really glad to see you instead of just the same old day, yeah. day out. you know
0: a lot of guys talk about that and you mentioned it earlier <laughs> that you look at your kids and you think man they they don't have it good they work all week long and collapse yeah. on the weekend and yeah. th- th- living this kind of a lifestyle allows you the freedom to have that time And it, it, I, I would compare it to uh, my daughter in the custody that between my ex-wife and I which we have a very good relationship but my daughter would come up to spend the summer with me so we would just have it cram packed full of nothing but fun you know going right. just everything we were all constantly going to a festival or a fair or to the zoo or just just together things and my wife my ex-wife would say Mark it's not fair you just took her to all those things how can how can we you know and I said "Well, you, you've got every weekend and I've got one month or yeah. you know a month and a half so I got to i got to pack those because it's the memories that last. It's yeah. not the, the new
1: shoes you bought or the... Well, that's what you're doing is you're making memories. Right.
0: Those are the ones that stay,
1: you know... When they're 25 and 30, that's all they'll have. Hey. They aren't going to have <laughs> those shoes and those pants. Oh, yes. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, won't even care. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm playing with my little girls, my, my granddaughters, who are my best friends, the light of my life, and blah, blah, blah. Is it, is, is it truly easier to be a grandparent than it was to be a parent? Yes and no. It's nice at the end of the day when you can give them back. But, man, I forgot how much work little kids were, you know. <laughs> chasing. And, of course, I told my oldest granddaughter, who's almost four, I said, I'm never going to say no to you. So you can have all the candy you want because yeah. you're going back to mom and dad's when this is over. Well, you know, when she wants to go for a walk, we go for a walk. When she wants to go scooterizing, I go scooterizing and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it only goes around once. Right. Yeah. Yep, no. Can't
0: get back in line. No, can't get back in line. Can't start over. Anything else no. you want to?
1: No. Cover. You think you're talked out? I I'm not quite talked out. I don't want to kill you. Oh, I'm I'm but, good. You know I had a few experiences there. I'll tell you. Well, and you never know. You're asking uh, what advice. I don't know. I had a lot of local knowledge in Alaska, and these people from Jack up here approached me once. And uh, asked me. Oh, if the I boat builders. Yeah, the boat builders. Yep. And they asked me if I knew, if I was fluent in Accutan and you know in and out in the waters there. And I said, yeah. And they asked me if I wanted a job working with them. And this is the reason that I quit working for Craig on the Dominator. And there'd been a hovercraft running between Cold Bay and King Cove, that was a total failure. That's a long story. I won't even go into that. That's politics. But they wanted to turn that on and put it in Accutan and run between coon. Yeah, there's a big, if I remember right, 4,500-foot runway on coon Island. And, of course, there's Accutan Island right there. It shares the same drink of water and the Accutan Village, uh, the Native Alaskans. And, of course, they wanted to fly in parts, pieces, and mail. And I said, sure. I thought, man, this is well, it's like I said, you know, adventure. There's more boats out there than just fishing boats. And so I jumped on board. I trained on that hovercraft in Cold Bay and King Cove with the Canadian Coast Guard. Because, you know, they use those big hovercraft to run up the rivers and break ice and search and rescue and whatnot. And uh, that was actually a lot of fun. It was scary. That was, like, the most fun and the scariest at the same time you could ever have <coughs> my instructor he said you take a walk, like a chinese cooking walk, you turn it upside down, you put a marble on it. He says that's what you're doing. You're keeping that marble on top of that walk cuz gravity is not your friend. You know, you'd be you'd be really surprised when that boat is up on hover. You know, it's a hovercraft that just the slightest slightest little ramp, that hovercraft just goes falling down better than grease lightning cuz you're hovering above the surface of the earth and you gravity takes you where it wants to go. And, uh, Does that operate well in seas? Uh, if it they seems were like it would not. No, not big seas. <coughs> uh, it was real rough riding. A lot of people thought, well, you're hovering above the earth, but you know you got those three, four, six foot choppy seas. You know it would lose air out the bag, out the stability bags, and uh, you know you would pound and bang just like a regular boat, like a big flat bottom boat, and it had no sea keeping ability because you weren't touching anything. It was uh, quite the But it was fun, man. When you did it right, it was really fun. <laughs> How fast was it going? Um, <clears throat> fastest I ever had it up to was 62 knots. Mm-hmm. What the? It, oh, it's quick. It's And it, it gets up there in a heartbeat. I was actually, well, delivering the mail. It was a beautiful day. And Craig, the Dominator, was tied up right there. Now we have cell phones in this advanced stage in Accutan. I called him up. I said, hey, Craig, I got to take the mail. We were just talking about the mail, or I got to pick up the mail and bring it back. Want to go for a ride? And so he came over to the hovercraft ramp there, and Accutan got on. And it was like I said, it was a beautiful day. I backed out, spun. These things spin like a top if you want them to, make you dizzy. And I took off, and before I even got to Accutan Point, I was doing 49 knots. And you know he there's no sensation. <laughs> like, the other thing is, is the, the bummer is there's no sensation. You know it just gets right up there and you, it's like standing here on your boat now. There's no sensation, and you look at the GPS, and I'm doing 49 knots. I said, look at this here, Craig, and he says you got to be kidding me. He looks out the window and you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway.
0: Well, he's used to a good eight knots. Yeah, eight knots. You're feeling yeah. good. Eight and a half, boy. And so it's all good.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, man, it was, it was a lot of fun doing that. Like I said, it was scary and fun and rewarding, especially when you pulled it off right. Uh, had to make a few emergency medical evacs. That felt good. Weather was really iffy. And that's where I'm glad I was actually in part of the fishing fleet. You know, with a plotter, I can see who's out around the corner coming in in the fishing boats. And I would have to go out past the corner but turn right to go to my landing pad on a Coon Island and I could see these boats coming, in and I know the guys and I would call out on 73 the, the, the Trident, the Channel, Trident there. Channel there and I'd say hey what are you seeing out there? Hey Jim how you doing? I said well I gotta, I gotta get over there in the hovercraft I got a heart attack this and that and uh, they'd say oh man it is so much better here than what I'm hearing where you are I'd say go for it you know and somebody else would chime in yeah Jim you got it this is no problem here so alright so I would pull over to what we call the COD pump in Accutan, I hadn't committed to anything yet, and there was a heart attack guy. You know, they lowered him on a stretcher, put him on the boat, the, the hovercraft, and uh, away I went to Accutan, or Acoon from Akutan, uh Dropped him off. There was a medevac jet there, not actually a jet, but a propeller pump, a crank King Air, King Air medevac, uh, put him on there. All good. I only had a couple of Trident people left on the boat, you know, taking care of him. Brought him back, dumped him off. All was good. And those things felt good, you know, doing that. But uh, I'm glad I'm old. One thing I got to say now, and I'm on the end of this, uh, and not you're asking about young people, man, the paperwork these days. You know, when I was on the Dominator, the official paperwork, whether it's legalese, healthies, pee in the cuppies, you know, sexual harassmentese, uh, I was a hovercraft. I was a high-speed hovercraft pilot. I had an endorsement on my MMC, my Merchant Mariners credential, one of only four in the United States that's civilian. Um, and because I hover at the end of my day, I would have to fill out a form for the FAA, the Federal Aeronautics Association, because I'm technically a pilot. I'm a hovercraft pilot. I hover above the earth. I had to fill out a form for the U.S. Coast Guard because I'm going across the water and the endorsements on my merchant mariner credential. Because the hovercraft went more than 100 feet from the mean lower low-water tide line up onto the dry, up onto the hard, I had to fill out a form for the DOT. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, my boss, you know, my direct boss, my manager, he wanted to know what's going on, so I had to fill out a form for him. It would take me 30 minutes to get from my hangar to Akun Island, pick up the dog food or whatever, I'll tell you that Amazon Prime was a pain, free shipping. Man, <laughs> these people were ordering everything, <laughs> you know. And load up, go to Akun Accutan Village, drop off the stuff, come back to my hangar. That was quicker than my paperwork. Wow. You know. And then, well, and then to add, okay, so I do all that. Okay, I can do it with it. you know. After a few rounds, I get the hang of all this paperwork. You know, I ran away to sea all those years ago to not push papers. And here it comes back and bites me in the butt. But here's the fun part, the interesting part, because I had to do all this paperwork for everybody. Then I go, my license is getting down. It's only good for five years. I go to renew my Coast Guard license at the rec center, the regional exam center here in Seattle. And the guy says, you can't renew your license. And I said, why is that? And he says, you have no recency, no sea time. And I said, i got all this paperwork right here. I've been flying this hovercraft for two and a half, two years. And he says, well, that's a hovercraft. It's not a vessel. He says, you need to get something from the FAA. Oh, my (laughs) God. I said, but they don't issue MMCs. And I said, every time there was a bump in the road, I would have to fill out a 2692, you know, an incident report, and I would have to file it with you. And before I could fly again, you would—you the Coast Guard—you'd have to come out and inspect my vessel or inspect whatever, you know, we took out. And I said, "Yeah, you have everything to do with this." <laughs> and of course, he disappeared and said, "We'll let you know." And then it came back. Oh, yo, Mister Howard, we can, uh, we, can renew, your <laughs> we can renew your license. Awesome. I said, I said "This credential right here—it's it's issued by you. It wasn't issued." By, oh.
0: Forty-seven years. Forty-seven years you've been doing this.
1: Yeah, I guess, well, you say 13
0: so. 13 to 60, 62 days ago. Big happy birthday to you, uh, Howard.
1: thank you. Yep. Yeah, man.
0: So yep. let's talk about the show for just a second. And uh, so we, we haven't recorded. You're the first in a couple months. You know, I've been up myself up yeah, in Yeah, I've been following you. I appreciate you taking the time to come and, and do this today. No worries. We're going to go in another. Uh, we're back to recording now. And uh, at the end of the month, I'm actually heading out to the East Coast. To get some of the East Coast fishermen's tales, um, their stories—they're getting a little jealous. <laughs> uh,
1: now they think, should be.
0: Well, you know, I think uh, the—and the, that's probably stretching the Bering Sea and beyond portion of galley stories a little bit. But I think it's important to capture these maritime stories, and and like you've just shared with us. Absolutely. You know, you, have you have you had these same stories conversations with your children?
1: I hear a lot of guys say, oh, we don't
0: talk about that stuff. When I'm
1: One. One son asks me questions all the time, and that's about it. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I haven't mentioned it to them. They just, I don't know, I think so many people out there, and maybe even my kids fall into that, that they think I'm standing on a boat somewhere with a fishing pole. Shh. Hey, yeah. hand me another beer. I got a lunker here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like a beer commercial yeah for
0: a <laughs> yeah you think you're fishing all right yeah yes. uh, i uh the tuna the tuna side of it you know that really interests me um
1: i liked it. that was great fishing you know uh,
0: i just got home and i told my wife the first thing i wanted to do was go down to san diego and and do a charter for tuna and then this opportunity came up for me to run to the east coast to do some recordings and it's like how do you choose to Right to spend your time. But there's tuna charters out there, too.
1: I'll give you some advice. If you want to catch a tuna or a Dorado mahi-mahi, come on down to Mexico. Actually, I have some friends live up in the hills, and they love to come down and go fishing. They make me go with them. And the, I didn't do the tuna trip, but I did the Dorado trip. Mm-hmm. And, man, we just loaded up on those big Dorado mahi-mahis. I,
0: I actually have a group of friends that I go with and to Cabo. Oh, okay and uh, but I've never gotten a tuna. I've never hooked a tuna. Oh man. Uh, Dorado, we've got 14 in one day. one of them was 52 inches. I mean it That's was a big a fish. monster yeah. yep it was a monster uh, had a great time uh, I, I, that particular time I wasn't necessarily after tuna I was after a sailfish.
1: okay
0: um, didn't didn't get one of those either but uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what the mahi-mahi is a
1: delicious fish. Oh it's it's a great fish for you want to put it on the barbecue it's great. You want to bread it and pan fry it like a fish and chips. It's great. The Mexicans, that's their favorite for ceviche, you know, where you cut it up in the little oh, yeah. cubes and squeeze the, the lime. Lemon on. Yeah. It, yeah. And let the lime juice cook it up and then throw in the onions and jalapenos and whatever. Oh. I, I love that fish. Oh yeah. It's 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 and it's a great fighting fish. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. You know, it's they quick just, too. Ee.
1: You don't have to do that 45-minute fight. You do like a 5-minute fight. Yeah. It's a good fight, then you got your fish. Exactly, yeah. and it's just, and you think, man, this is a big one, and it comes up, all, and you go, <laughs> that little sucker was busting my butt. <laughs> right.
0: And it's, it's a lot different than catching a 150-pound halibut, where well, it's like dead weight.
1: Yeah. And you're just yeah. pulling up mm-hmm. a rock from the bottom, you know. Exactly. Oh, it's great. Well, then they fly,
0: you know, they'll flip and flop. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I don't know why I'm getting on this kick about wanting to catch a tuna so bad, but I think it's because I love a, a fresh tuna filet. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I've never had the freshest tuna filet, and... Well, I, I missed I missed the tuna trip. I actually didn't want to go. I had something else going on. But uh, yeah, my friend he came down, took out the tuna trip, and I saw the video. He's got one of those great big industrial ice chests, and it's just full of the little six to eight pounders, just perfect little yellowfin tuna. You know, just all yeah. Oh God, who else did On Mark. Oh, my neighbor did that also. His son came to town. They did it. He trying to pawn some fish off on me because his freezer was full. Mm-hmm. So I took a few. Tough life. Yeah, yeah, tough, yeah. Life. Tough,
0: life. tough life. Tough life. All right, well, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Jim, I, I thank you for taking the time to come down.
1: My pleasure, Mark. And how do you yeah. want to finish on this note? I'll leave it at this, man. Appreciate what you're doing. You're getting our stories out there. Holy cow, a lot of people don't realize what we do. They don't realize what's out there. Right. You know, if it wasn't for that TV show, Deadliest Catch, and then now you come along with this, I don't know, it's a piece of history. It's sure a piece of my life.
0: It's it's the reason I do it. It's yeah. um, you know, I used to go up to the market arms here every Friday. Right. And uh, sit around the, the same table uh, every Friday and with the same guys. And most recently two of those guys are no longer here. They're gone. You know, they passed and yeah. they had some great stories. And that kind of led me to where we're at today and and getting those before they're gone. Uh, whether that be from you at 60 retired now and, and been fishing for 47 years. Sometimes it's also unique to grab those young deckhands that have just had their eyes opened because they've watched the delius catch or, or have a have a a romance in them that, that's
1: calling them that way. But, yeah, no, I, I, I like doing this, and I hope to continue to do it. Yeah, you're doing a great job. So. Yes, I love it. And, you know, my son listens to you all the time. He says, oh, man, did you hear the last one about... Are they hear that, you know, I'm always behind the times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. All right, guys. Well, uh, I've had captain Jim Howard with us and, uh, this has been another installment of galley stories and look, look forward to the next ones coming out guys. I'm probably going to post this one today on nine 11. Uh, so it won't, it will be up pretty quick here, Jim. I'm confident in, in, the <laughs> in you. Did
1: I say Jim? My name's John,
0: <laughs> but, uh, thank you guys for listening. And, uh, and please continue to follow us, like us, subscribe, etc. And uh, look forward to those uh, next episodes coming up towards the end of the month that are going to be coming off the East Coast. So until next time, guys, thanks, and we'll see you later.
1: Thank you all. See you next time. There probably will be a next time. you got good stories here.
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.